This is the Sports Academic, a podcast that dives into sports and its greatest stories, with your host, Rohan Hardas. Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of the Sports Academic. My guest here is creator and publisher for uscfootball.com, Ryan Abraham. Ryan, thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for uh, coming to our little studio here. Yeah, this is a great little studio. I love it. Um, <laughs> so before we start talking about the Trojans, I wanted to just get a li- have the audience learn a little bit more about you. So can you tell us how uscfootball.com came to be? Yeah, it's uh, so I've been doing this for about 22 years now. So I guess probably before you were born is when I started. Definitely, I'm 20 years old right now. <laughs> uh, but like 1996, I graduated from USC undergrad and grad school uh, in electrical engineering. So in the 90s, when it was pre-internet, but people had stuff like AOL or Prodigy, these kind of things, you would get little disc like uh, CDs in the mail for like free hours on to get online. Um, and I even did stuff, uh, with modems for back in my, you know, in my high school days, but I was always interested in that stuff. Uh, someone at work that I was working at a huge aircraft company showed me how to like create a web page. So I did that. I always liked writing and I used to write about the USC football team cause I went there and, you know, got all about it. And so I started the site in 96 on a site called GeoCities, which would allow you to like easily create web pages. It was sort of like, almost like a MySpace kind of thing where it just like gave you like a, a someplace to park your website you would just create whatever you wanted on there and uh yeah so i did that and in 97 is when i bought the domain name uscfootball.com so there was there wasn't uh there was a lot of them that were available back then now obviously it's it's hard to get any kind of cool domain name they're already taken and just started um writing and doing stuff on my own i wrote all the code myself so html i made all the website stuff it was all hand done um so that the the technical background kind of helped with all that. And it just kind of grew over the years. And uh, I ended up joining a network in the early 2000s, Rivals.com, and then kind of grew that. It became more of a subscription-based thing. It became more of a business. And then in 2004 is when I actually stopped, quit being an engineer, walked away from like my career, and then started doing this full-time. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Needless to say, talking about sports is definitely uh, more interesting to you. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, I, I didn't have any issue being an engineer. I mean, I liked, I mean, it was, the pay was good. I liked it. Um, you know, I, it's challenging, but this is, uh, this is fun. You know, I mean, I'm, you're working on weekends a lot, but like during the week, like on a Tuesday, I can go golf if I want or something. It just depends on what your schedule is. You know, now right now it's like my wife was out of town for a couple of weeks. She comes home and like, I'm not even going to see her because this is like the busiest Whenever you have some sort of like coaching search potential, your job just becomes 24 hours a day. Like my phone, just you got to keep it charging all the time. It's insane. So there's some really insane times and covering USC, there's more than you would than other programs Uh, every two years or so. There's some crazy (laughs) stuff that happens. And Clay Elton's been a little bit more stable, but this obviously is uh, being five and six uh, on the verge of being five and seven and a blowout to Notre Dame. It's uh, obviously gets everyone buzzed up, you know? Yeah, with a, with a program like USC, the spotlight is definitely always surrounding it. So like you mentioned, our record already, it's been a tough season so far. What's your reaction been like from the fan base? It's weird. So normally, you know, like how politically charged the country is, you got, you know, left, right, whatever, fighting. Usually our message boards on the site, that's like a pretty good pulse of what the fan base mm-hmm. 
are like. Now, sometimes it's more the diehard people, maybe the groups that would go to like Austin, Texas to travel to a game, like people that really care about, not just like I go to two home games a year or something. These are like the diehard people. Like Twitter can be just anyone, like some guy that randomly likes USC. Usually if you're on the message board, especially if you're a subscriber, you're paying, you're big into it. You traveled a lot of the games. Usually they're divided. There's always like the supporters of this and the, the detractors of this, all that stuff. Right now, it's pretty much a consensus. There isn't, it's hard to find anyone who's supporting the current coaching staff. And we never get that. There's always fighting. There's fighting about other things. But to see as many USC fans all on the same page, uh, it's wild. Like, I, I, you just don't see stuff like that. Even like when Sark or the end of Kiffin's reign and stuff, there were still some kind of divisions and stuff. But man, with, with Clay Helton to go from winning a Rose Bowl and winning the Pac-12 to one bad year, which is fair. You know, people say that all the time. Yeah. But you watch. Like, you see they're not competitive against good teams. And now they're not beating teams that they should beat. That all comes back to USC never should have hired him in the first place. And so people were ready. Like, he had to kind of come in and prove himself, which he sort of did for a couple of years. But now it's like a complete consensus. Like there's hardly anyone, I'm sure, you know, students you talk to that really support him right now. Oh, yeah. The, the student body, I wouldn't say, is divided at all. I think the majority, the healthy majority of them want Clay Helton fired. And it's been a big thing I've seen from former USC players in the NFL now. Jordan Simmons tweeted about his distaste of how things are being handled at USC. Suat Cravens has been very outspoken yeah. on it. So then my question to you right now is, what would you say is the most notable change from last year? Last year, we did lose in the Cotton Bowl, but we did win 10-plus games of Pac-12 championship. Yeah. Would you say it's just experience, losing Sam Darnold, Ronald Jones, Deontay Burnett, guys like that? Or do you think it's a more systematic problem? I think it's a systematic problem. And like you mentioned, Sua Cravens, he was the biggest supporter of Clay. He wanted Clay Helton. Uh, it was probably part of the reason that Clay Helton got hired. And for him to turn uh, a few years later, that's crazy. Um, but yeah, I think system-wise... This is a team that's very talented, and we do it on 24-7 Sports, so we're part of the 24-7 Sports Network. They do a talent composite index. So you put together, so you would know USC has top recruiting classes, right? They're all four or five-star guys. They, what they do is look at your current roster for each school, and then they who's left. Sometimes you sign a bunch of five-star guys, and they transfer or whatever, so that doesn't count anymore. Like just If you had five top five programs, but most of your guy, the good guys left, that doesn't mean what's your left. So they look at the talent index. USC's number four in the country behind Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State. Like, so obviously the results aren't anywhere near that. So to me, it's more about the system side. It's more about the coaching. You had a special, play, special player like Sam Darnold, and all the detractors that were even saying, Clayton shouldn't be there after winning the Rose Bowl. They didn't like it. They're saying because Sam Darnold made this work. That's it. And it's hard to argue with them. I think they're kind of right because you look at, uh, I like JT Daniels a lot, and you watch the UCLA game, Wilton Spate was thrown to guys that were not always open, but they were open, like by some sort of offensive system. JT Daniels is thrown to covered guys all the time. I don't think it's because he's just picking the wrong guy all the time. There's just not like this great system that you get guys open. So to me, it's more about the, the, the systematic problem, that the coaching side of things. You have an inexperienced head coach, and he didn't hire a great staff. He didn't bring anyone that was better than him. You look at a Justin Wilcox at, at Cal, 
He hired head coaches to be That's, his coordinator. Justin Wilcox is the perfect example. Yeah, and that. you need to do that. Clay Helton, like one of the nicest guys around. You don't want to bash him personally, and I, I hate it when USC fans do that. Like it's a personal thing. If you got, if someone offered you to be the CEO of Pepsi, and you're like, I'm not qualified, but I'll take, I'll take it. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's no reason he shouldn't have took the job. He Agreed. shouldn't have ever been offered the job. Is the problem, you know? So, I think you see that. And and like I said, I don't want USC fans to get personal, but it really was, he was promoted to this position and needed to make better hires because he brought in T or kept T Martin, who I like T Martin a lot. He'd never been an offensive coordinator. Like that's not a good pairing. If you were the CEO of Pepsi, you don't hire a CFO who's never been a CFO before too. You're like, I better go get the best damn CFO I've ever seen because I don't know what I'm doing as the CEO. Exactly. But he didn't do that. So I think it's a, I think it's a more of a systematic problem. Sorry, long answer to your question, but then, you know, really the, a lot of the decisions that were made at the high level. So since it is a systematic problem, would you say it just, it completely stems from coaching, lack of identity, schemes, game plan? Or do you think, do you think it's like starting from the top at Lynn Swan? Do you think it's dropping down even to like offensive line coach, defensive line coach? Like, where do you think is the fault? Or like, where does like, not, I wouldn't necessarily the blame, but what do you think is the fracture of where this is starting to crumble? Yeah, I think, I mean, you have to go to the top. And I think if you, like, say you buy a car and you don't buy insurance, um, that's a decision that you made. That's probably a poor decision, but it doesn't hurt you that day. It usually hurts you like two years from now when you get an accident and you're like, ah, oh, crap, I don't have, I don't have insurance on my car, but it doesn't hurt you the first day. Like hiring Clay Helton in the beginning didn't really hurt you. Hiring, you know, three athletic directors in a row who are no athletic director experience, but are former football players. Um, doesn't really hurt you always like right away, but you're seeing this problem now. There's a leadership problem at USC. They're keeping things, everything, you know, keeping stuff in house. They're getting familiar people. And I think after a while, you just need someone to come in. That's a powerful voice to mix things up. Pete Carroll was in the program, a very powerful voice. It's like USC's avoided getting anyone like that. You hire someone familiar. You hired someone that's happy to be there. You don't want to be that at USC. Like you want to hire someone that's like going to come in and just kick ass and clean house and do they need that. So, I mean, Lynn Swan, I grew up in Western Pennsylvania. He was an idol of mine as a Steeler fan. Like, but I don't think he's qualified to be the athletic director at USC. And we hardly ever hear from him. He should be talking about what's going on right now. Maybe we hear from him. This week, we'll see. Um, and even Clay Helton brought it up after the game. Like, he was asked a question, like, you're going to have to refer to Lin Swan. We asked him on a conference call last night. Same thing. You know, Lin Swan will address it when he feels ready. It's, I, I, I'm not getting it. So I think it's a really problem at the top. I don't blame Clay Helton for not being the greatest coach ever. He shouldn't have been in that position to begin with. So to me, it more starts at the top. And, you know, but Clay Helton had opportunities to hire, even if he wasn't qualified to be there. His resume didn't match up to the job he was given, but he still could have hired, you know, really good assistants around him as opposed to familiar assistants. And that, you know, that's on him. But for me, it, it really starts at the top. And USC as an institution, not bringing in established athletic directors, like get someone who's been an athletic director somewhere. I don't see why that's so hard. Three football players in a row, no one's done anything like that. I'm glad you mentioned the the notion of familiarity because I, unlike you who was born in Western Pennsylvania, I was born an hour away from USC, and uh, I grew up in a Trojan family. I've had many family members who went to USC, and the th I think that we're in terms of coaching, 
we're putting and leadership for that matter we're putting too much emphasis on the trojan family like would i like to keep guys in house yes because like tradition and the alumni would love that and all that great stuff but at the same time we need to go out and get the guy who's the most qualified for the position and you were saying how clay had many opportunities to make changes with his coaching staff around him like wilcox did whether it be like relieve t or clancy or all these other guys so my question is to you Clay did make one somewhat interesting decision earlier in the year of pulling T off of play calling. How yeah. did you react to that? And what did you think the impact was of that? Because personally, I haven't seen much. No, I mean, you look at the off, it doesn't look any different. Um, I think we put a lot of emphasis on who the play caller is. To me, it's more about the offensive design. Everything I've heard, this wasn't, T, T, he wasn't hired as the offensive coordinator and brought in his own offense and created the, this is, some sort of mishmash of Lane Kiffin, Steve Sarkeesian, and Clay Helton offense that T was asked to run. So when people were calling for T to be fired, I didn't really get it because, you know, you know, I like T. Maybe I'm more of a defender of him than anything, but it wasn't like this was his offensive system. This was USC's or Clay Helton's offensive system that he was the guy calling the plays for. I don't think he had a whole lot of control over what was going on. So I think he got uh a lot of the blame would maybe, you know, it doesn't really deserve to get all that much, but you're looking at what the offense does now with, with Clay Helton calling the plays. The first game was fine because it was Oregon state, but you can run, you, know, you can hand the ball off on third and 15 and get a first down. Like, yes, I could call You could call the plays. I could call the plays. Exactly. Doesn't matter. Just do anything. And you're going to beat Oregon state. It doesn't matter, but we've seen it since then. And it's the same sort of thing. It's an offense that relies on big plays. It's hard to get sustained drives it does, you looked at what UCLA was doing. It looked like there was a plan in place. Uh, they brought in extra tight ends. They were running the football. USC couldn't run the football against one of the worst rushing defenses in the country in UCLA. You know. You mentioned earlier about how you do the uh, talent rankings and how we ha have the fourth best recruiting uh, talent that is kept at our school. Joshua Kelly, the guy who ran for 280-plus <laughs> yards against USC, was a two-star coming out of high school, and he was ranked in the 2800s in terms of composite players. <laughs> when our running backs, guys like Aka Cedric Ware, Vivai Malapai, all those guys, were ranked in the Stephen Carr, were all ranked in the top 10 yeah. in their position. And I don't know, that's just something that I found really interesting about. He was that. at UC Davis, you know, and yeah. he transferred in, and it's like, it's, and, but... Players certainly develop. I don't think. Oh, agree, one hundred percent agree. Star, like the people that say stars don't matter, they're idiots. Like they're, stars matter. Like if you, we did all kinds of stories. Look at the NFL draft. They're like, oh, a whole bunch of guys. The, the guy wasn't unranked, and he got. He's in the NFL Hall of Fame. Like that happens. But if you take the average five star and the average two star. The average five star is like twenty. Like you're most likely to like twenty five percent of the chance you make the first round, and you know, there's like there's only thirty five stars, so it's not like yeah, there's some bust there. Mm -hmm. There's like three thousand two stars, so yes, some of them are going to do really well and develop. And but to say stars don't matter, it's the data is just it backs it up. Like you're, if you're much more likely to make the NFL coming out of high school if you're a five star than a two star. Kevin Arnovitz, the uh, NBA writer and analytics guy for ESPN, had a phrase that went along the lines of, five nickels is not nearly worth as much as one quarter in terms of superstars. Yeah. And he says, it, like, would you rather have a guy like LeBron James? Or would you have five guys who are good, maybe even above average, but they can't compete with LeBron James? And he kind of showed it last year. Like, you had five nickels on the Cleveland Cavaliers surrounding him, but you had LeBron James, and that's the right. only reason they made it to the finals. And now they're... <laughs> 
arguably the worst team in basketball. Yeah, Cleveland's terrible now. Exactly. So it's like, <laughs> I totally agree with you in terms of star power and how we need star power. We have a lot of star power on our quarterback depth chart in terms of like composite rankings. Obviously, JT Daniels is a top five quarterback. Jack Sears was very highly touted coming out of high school and even Matt Fink. So do you think the quarterback situation needs to be reevaluated in the offseason? Yeah, the, I, so there's another thing. I don't, maybe I'm an apologist for JT Daniels, but the, a lot of the fans want to see Jack Sears and stuff coming in. And I do feel like Sears and Fink fit the offensive scheme better because if you're going to do the zone read stuff, which I don't think anyone that was like some guru of the zone read ever taught Lane or Sark, they just kind of like, that was the, the hit offense now, so they were running it, but I don't think they were ever, like Norm Chow didn't run anything like that. Like they, they learned from a guru, but not a guru that was running what they're running. And when you have a quarterback, even with Sam Darnold, when you're doing fakes, but you know the quarterback's never going to keep it, Sam Darnold could run. I think JT Daniels could run, but they're afraid to have those guys run because they feel like that's the whole offense, which it is. So if they have him run, they don't mind Sink, uh, Fink or Sears running because they're like, oh, if he gets hurt, that's fine. They'll <laughs> just get someone else in. Um, but I feel like the offense is better suited if you have the quarterback. That, and when you've seen USC run with those guys, the offense looks like it's better coached with those guys. When it's JT Daniels, you feel bad. They're just asking this true freshman to go back and win you the game and throw low percentage passes downfield because he can do it, but like you're not really helping him like you help the other guy. So I'm not someone that says you should you know bench JT Daniels. I think he's definitely made some mistakes. I feel like he's been under a lot of pressure and maybe he's getting a little antsy back there, but I don't think feel he's getting a lot of help from the coaching staff either. And for the people that are saying like, hey, they put got to put Jack Sears in. Matt Fick came back to practice this week, and I'm not sure. I don't remember. I didn't see if he was you know available for this game, but they didn't. We asked Clay Helton who was the backup, and he wasn't sure at that point. Like you wanted Sears. Uh, Sears is the best. Sears might have been third string again, according to the coaches. So you might not have got what you wish for. But looking back, like we went to you know all of fall camp, and it was. I, I don't. No one I talked to felt that JT didn't win the job there. Like he looked like the best quarterback but I also felt Sears was close and he was second and they put Sears third so just from what we saw like I don't I don't think he made the wrong decision putting JT Daniels in there but I don't think they really help him out either I know a lot of people on campus are definitely on the bandwagon in terms of we want Jack Sears we want Jack Sears now um I also would probably consider myself a JT Daniels apologist because growing up in Southern California and especially being connected to high school football in the way that like I know grew up with a couple of these guys. I would say that since I've seen JT since a very young age, I'm more to like forgive him for the mistakes because I've seen him grow. Um, I do think JT is going to be special. I think he's got a ton of talent. I'm not saying the quarterback situation needs to be evaluated, but I definitely think the gap might have been not as wide as sure. everyone perceived it to be. I think in, in camp it was pretty wide. and But now, yeah, I like the way, I mean, Sears was really efficient. And sometimes guys are gamers, you know? That's that's the exact phrase I used when I was talking to everybody on campus. I said Jack Sears is a gamer, and he may not show it completely all the time in practice, but when when he's under the lights, the kid can perform. I mean, yeah. like you said, he was efficient. He's mobile. He can roll out. He's got really good accuracy. He's got pretty decent arm strength. He's got all the makings of a really good quarterback. So normally, having too many good quarterbacks is a pr is a good thing for a team. I'm curious to see how we decide to play it out. Uh, moving a little outside the hashes. Since it has been somewhat of a disappointing season, though, 
I would say wide receiver has probably been the brightest spot of our team. I think our wide receivers have been amazing this year between Michael Pittman, Tyler Vons, Amon Ross St. Brown. So I just wanted to get your take. How do you think the uh, Trojan wide receiver core has been doing this year? It's been great. And that's one thing where people give T. Martin a lot of crap. Like now they recruit the position pretty heavily. They always get five-star guys, but they perform and they go in the NFL, you know, so you can't say that about all the, yeah. a lot of other positions. Over, over the last, I don't know, since, since Kiffin, you've had guys like Robert Woods, Marquise Lee, Nelson Aguilar, Juju Smith. Like yeah. There are a ton of guys who are now in the NFL and even more who are going to come up. I think Michael Pittman and Tyler Vaughn are both going to be tremendous talents. And then Amon Ross St. Brown too. So Yeah. And I, I thought Juju Smith, seeing him in high school, he'd be a great safety. And I would keep <laughs> saying that. And uh, yeah, he, there was talk about it. Like he even talk, I think there were some injuries there one year he was there and, uh, Thought he might move over. He wanted to play a little bit there, but you know, obviously he's been a great receiver, and he's like the number two guy with the Steelers now, which is my team, which is great. Um, but it's fun, you know, fun to be able to watch him. But yeah, no, I think T. Martin's done a really good job with these guys. Um, I like, you know, Pittman has saved this, you know, the team's bacon on more than one occasion. <laughs> definitely, definitely more than with one occasion. With some catches. Uh, you know, Tyler Vaughn's, he had, you know, he's had, he was on the only two touchdowns in uh, the game against Cal, and he had three touchdowns the week before, you know, throwing for a touchdown and stuff. You know, he's a baseball pitcher too. Um, I've, I've always liked Vaughn's and I've, you know, he, he was a five-star kid who redshirted and that doesn't always, you know, people are like, Oh, he's a bust or whatever. And I told people like two years ago, like, Hey, what, you know, Vaughn's is going to be the guy. He wasn't even starting in the beginning, which was ridiculous. Uh, but then he came on and had a huge year. And, uh, but yeah, I think the wide receiver core has been great. I'm on Ross St. Brown. Um, I mean, special for a kid that, you know, that young and uh, they got some other good guys too. You know, I, I like Trayvon Sidney. Um, uh, he can come in and do some stuff in the slot. We saw Velas Jones, uh, take a, you know, Velas Jones, take a you know little screen pass and run it for a touchdown. Um, he's got some, you know, elite speed there. They just don't seem to utilize him. They like him running sideways as opposed to down mm -hmm. the field. But yeah, I think overall it, it's been a, it's been a good group. One of the bright spots for sure of the team. I'm glad you mentioned the uh, the redshirting of Tyler Vaughn as a freshman because, like you said, he was a five-star. Last year, we kind of did the same thing to Randall Grimes, and that stuff happened. And even he's not redshirting, but guys like Devin Williams who aren't seeing the field as much just because of strictly how deep the roster is, you can't label them a bust just because like, it's tough. And it's like yeah. you mentioned when Tyler Vaughn's like, the starting wide receivers on that team were Darius Rogers, whose hands were incredible. I think yeah. he probably had the best hands in college football that year. I don't think I ever saw that guy drop a pass. <laughs> and then Deontay Burnett and Juju Smith-Schuster. That's, that's a hard lineup to break into and definitely can't label them a bust. Um, recently, as recently as yesterday, uh, Kyle Ford, one of the number, wide number one, two, three wide receivers in the country, labeled his top five for his final commitment, and he chose Colorado, Michigan, Oregon, USC, and Washington. Yeah. Uh, how important do you think his commitment is? And more specifically, how important do you think it is with everything that's going on right now to keep ta to keep our talent in house, like keep it in state. Yeah. I think it's always important that Pete Carroll, that wasn't happening. Like in the nineties, like the Paul Hackett years, guys were going to Miami and Florida state and leaving Southern California. And Pete Carroll put a stop to that. Um, Sean Cody, who, if you listen to yeah, him yeah, on yeah. the radio yeah, broadcast, he was probably the first big local U, uh, recruit USC that Pete Carroll signed. And it kind of started the, obviously he recruited oh, yeah. his, but then they had a relentless recruiting staff yeah. and they did a really good job. But I think it's important. Like Kyle Ford, I've seen a bunch mm -hmm. uh, down at um, different all-star games and stuff. And he's like ridiculous. Uh, we were, saw, I think it was in Dallas for the opening. Nike usually does the opening up in, uh, in Eugene yeah. uh, or in uh, 
Beaverton at the Nike headquarters, but this year they had it uh, in Dallas at the practice facility. And man, he was just an absolute, I think he had, it was some like 18 touchdown catches or something like in like the two days worth of seven on seven games. It's seven on seven, but he was redonkulous, you know, but because of a position like that, USC recruits so well, I wouldn't say he's like, you know, there's other positions of need where like on the defensive backside, you need people. And, uh, you know, they recruited a lot of linebackers last year. So there's some positions you could like miss on a dude. That's a guy though. That's so good. I think you don't, yeah. you certainly don't want to miss on him, but you're right. You have to keep, keep that local talent in house and clay helton to his credit the last couple years they've been really good at finishing they haven't mm -hmm. half of their staff are kind of like part-time recruiters and that's a problem they're not all relentless like there's the t martins and johnny nansen's and some guys that do a really good job yeah all those guys are incredible recruiters yeah but they're some other guys that don't like to recruit much at all but they've been able to rely on it's kind of like cramming for a test and you're really good at the end um but you're cramming for a test because, and it works in recruiting because you won the Rose Bowl and you won the Pac-12 championship game. This year, you might not be bowl eligible. It's going to be a lot harder to cram for this test. It's like your book is sealed shut or something. I don't know the good <laughs> analogy there, but there's, but it's it's hard because now you can't get all those Plan A guys at the very end, especially out of state guys because you're like you're not nationally relevant anymore. So I think it's a bigger challenge. He's a he's a big get. Um, but I think there's some, they need to really get a bunch of defensive backs cause they've had a lot of departures there too. And they lose seniors. That's a, that's a position that's got hit the most. Uh, but it, it's going to be tougher on this early signing period, especially if it's a new coach, you like, it, there's so much going on. The early signing period in, in late December changes the game. Uh, you saw Colorado fire their coach yesterday. Part of the reason is you, you can't wait till February now to sign your class. You're going to sign most of the guys. And, you know, December 19th or 20th or whatever, you know, right around just before Christmas while you're doing bowl prep and all that stuff. And it might be if they get rid of Clay Helton after the Notre Dame game, you, your new coaches got a few weeks to get that class together. I'm glad that you mentioned how we have guys like in-state guys who are can't miss. And the early signing period definitely changes it because we have guys who are targeted, like obviously Kayvon Thibodeau, Brew McCoy, Kyle Ford. Um, hopefully we're still in the mix for Chris Steele. That was a kind of a shocking decommitment. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, all these guys are going to be signing day guys. Like I would, I'd be extremely surprised if they announced their commitment beforehand. Um, in terms of difficulty level getting, I mean, we have ways to get all of them. Like they're all local guys, but do you think that the allure of going elsewhere as opposed to playing here is now more relevant than ever? I think it is. I think there was... That, that you saw that allure in the late '90s, that people were like, "Oh, let's go." I mean, Miami, Florida, Florida State—they were all like really good. You would go to places like that. I think Pete Carroll changed it, um, and you just see five-star guy after five-star guy. If you look at the Pac-12, it's like USC's got like a pile of five-star guys, and then like UCLA has a few, and like Washington gets one, and Oregon like, will get a couple. Yeah, it's like they're Oregon's doing really well in recruiting right now, but for the most part, it's like USC gets those dudes. Um, but I think that I think that can change if USC goes through a, a you know a downturn, especially one that lasts more than this year. Um, with another, you know, having all these coaching changes, just really bad hire after bad hire, like inexplicable. Like, why are you doing this kind of stuff? I think it can kind of pile up. Now I know there's been some recent success, but this year is like is pretty bad, you know. And there's not you had a if you have a huge you know big time quarterback in a class. They're a big recruiter, 
And you mentioned Chris Steele. He was the biggest recruiter for USC in this. Now, he still might end up signing with USC, but you've now lost your biggest, like, prospect recruiter. You don't have, like, a huge – you know, they have got quarterbacks, but not, like, you know – they have like 2020 quarterback. They don't have, you know, slow, keep on slow. Yeah. He's, he's a, what Arizona kid. Yeah, he's, he's, Arizona. he's not like texting everybody in Southern California. Hey, come to USC. So that with the, the bad season, it could be a pretty down year for USC recruiting, but I don't, I don't, USC doesn't recruit itself, but it makes it so much easier to recruit. You know, Dylan McCullough, if you remember him. Yeah, of course, of course. He was a great, uh, the, the only hire really that I loved from Clay Helton that, he was an Indiana running backs coach, was very successful there, put guys from Indiana to the NFL, to the NFL, recruited SEC country. And when I, I actually had him, well, not in the studio, but the one down, I was in a different studio before, but he came on the podcast. There's an appeal to being at USC. He would fight tooth and nail to get a running back to not go to like Auburn and come to Indiana. And most of the time it didn't work. And he said later, the guys would come back to him and say, man, I wish I signed with you, coach. But because... It's hard to get a guy to go to Indiana. He came here, and you're most like picking and choosing. So it's not like you can't do that. You have to do the work, but it, it's so much easier to convince a guy to come to USC. All, you know, all these Heisman trophies and stuff. Like Indiana doesn't have anything like that. So he loved it, you know. Um, so you can get people like that, and I think you can make it work. Uh, but it's 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 definitely going to be a challenge, and I think this year the signing class is not going to be. It might not even be like top 15. It depends. You know, they, they, they could hire some crazy great coach. Clay Hilton could stay. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but there, there's a lot in play right now between now and the early signing period. I was on the website and it said we have the 29th ranked current yeah. class, I believe. 29th? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of uncharted territory for USC <laughs> fans in the recent years. You talked about how like player recruiting and like Chris Steele was the number one guy who would like recruit other players. I remember last year, at the Army All-American game, JT Daniels was trying his absolute hardest to get Jalen Waddell to come to USC. Yeah. I mean, remember, he was texting him every day. They were teammates. They were practicing. <laughs> and that's, I think that's a really important factor and about keeping talent in-state. Waddle's obviously from Texas. But um, Najee Harris from Antioch, he yeah. went to Alabama. Like, right. It's kind of like, hard to keep, like, keep the premier talent if you're not winning. And uh, Professor Jeff Felzer at USC always says... Uh, to be a good team in L.A., you have to win. Winning's the most important because yeah. there are so many options of things to do in L.A. <laughs> if you don't win, people aren't going to show up. You have to win, and you have to be entertaining. The reason the Rams have such popularity right now is, think about it, like, they're fun. They have Todd Gurley, Robert Woods, Brandon Cooks, Jared Goff. They run a fun offense. The Coliseum's a great stadium. It's exciting. People yeah. want to go and see it. Um, the thing I've noticed about USC football right now is ever since the loss all the way back to Texas— and besides the few games like Cal and a couple of them, but attendance has slowly been dwindling. Um, I mean, Oregon State, the stadium was pretty much half empty. Yeah. Um, do you think there's like, I mean, Notre Dame, I'm expecting a full house, but going into next season, what's your take? Like, what do you expect from turnouts and fans and stuff? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it depends on what happens with the coaching situation. I think I wrote a piece after USC lost to Stanford or it was Texas, uh, whatever, the, the, the second game. So it was one, USC was one and two going yeah, into... Yeah, the schedule was UNLV and then Stanford and then Texas. Stanford and Texas, yeah. So after the Texas game. So I thought this could be like the perfect storm for a bad attendance because it was going to be a Friday night game in LA during the construction of the Coliseum and the team was one and two and everyone had turned on Clay Helton again. 
And it was it was uh, historically low attendance. I think the lowest since like 2001 or something, like Pete Carroll's first year. But it wasn't as bad as I thought it could be. But we've seen it steadily decline. This USC-UCLA game, 57,000 people. That's the lowest since 1957, I believe. That's almost a little bit more than half of Rose Bowl capacity. Yeah. And, you know, obviously the most losses between the two programs in the 88-year history of the rivalry. Uh, I think Notre Dame's not going to be full. I think it's going to be more Notre Dame fans than USC fans, um, which is unfortunate. But that's, that's people. And we've had, I've had people on our message board. It's, it's one thing to be outraged. And that's, there's a lot of outrage. People are like, you got to get rid of him. He's terrible, blah, blah, blah. But indifference is in apathy. Like that's, that's a real problem. I have people posting and I tweeted about it like, hey, you know, uh, instead of, I know what's going to happen. So I took my daughter to the circus or whatever it was. Like they're, they're just going to go do something else. And like you said, I can go watch LeBron. I can go watch Jared Goff or the, the Chargers at one six I mean, in a the row. The Clippers are playing incredible right now. Yeah. Like there's so many other options that I think it's a real problem. And I think why there's going to be more pressure. I don't think the administration wants to get rid of Clay Helton, like we mentioned, but I think the pressure is going to be because you're going to have half full a half full stadium that's just been renovated. You spent three, you know, three hundred million dollars to do this, and people aren't going to be there because they're showing. They're, a lot of people explain to us if the administration doesn't care about winning, why should I? And that's when you're losing the fan base. So, to long answer to your question, if they hire like a really good coach, I think you'll get people again. But if it's Clay Helton again, even with like a revamped staff like a Brian Kelly from a couple of years ago, I still think a lot of people are going to be staying home. And and you know, you know, as a millennial, like you, they have great Wi-Fi. Do I get to watch like ten things on my phone? Oh, yeah, like, the the multi-streaming access is unbelievable, <laughs> especially with things like Reddit, where you can watch pretty much anything. That's oh really? Streaming. Yeah, just, yeah. Oh yeah. If you go on Reddit, they have streams for almost everything. Yeah, you got like I'm still like I cut the cord, and I would like. Uh, I have like Hulu TV and stuff and I'm still used to like channel surfing, but that's not the way like, you know, younger person like yourself thinks like you don't look at, Oh, let's go see what's on. Like you're watching something really specific. It's, it's different now. And you're losing a lot of the younger fans, but you're losing USC did some things with the reconstruction. They're losing a lot of the older fans too, because part of the appeal is you sit down and they, I, we've talked to people that have been in the same seats for 40 years and they've met good friends that sat next to them for the 40 years. They've gone to each other's weddings. And once you did the reconstruction, and they've moved all that, and they didn't take into consideration, we're going to try to make sure you get the state. They didn't care about that at all. And I think that's an underestimation. Oh, yeah. You've for lost a lot of those fans. So you lost older fans because of that, younger fans for different reasons, and then the team stinks and you keep the head coach that nobody wants. Yeah, I think attendance could be... You know, it's it's already bad for this year, but I think it's gonna be, it would be even worse next year. You mentioned friendship, and definitely for a school that emph emphasizes tradition and legacy so much, the the fact that you're not thinking about the Trojan family as a whole when you're undergoing this project. And I understand money talks and all that, and you have to do stuff to help the boosters. But something as simple as like allowing people who sit next to each other, who have known each other for a long time, to maybe relocate seats together. Yeah. Do you think that? Without an active sitting president, I know President Wanda Austin is the interim president. Do you think without an actual sitting president who's committed for the long run, do you think, do you see any changes happening? I think, I didn't think there was going to be. And a lot of fans just wanted to change no matter what. Um, but losing the Cal was pretty big. 
but it's nowhere near as big as losing to UCLA. I think that's the tipping point. I believe, I mean, it seems like Dr. Wanda Austin would be a great candidate to be president. She doesn't want to be the president, you know? Um, she, I, she would definitely be a great candidate. To but be I don't president. know why it's like, for whatever reason, she doesn't want to do it. So fine. Um, you don't want to be the president. I mean, don't do it. But I don't think she wants to be, this is a huge decision. Like maybe the biggest decision you're going to make at a university. We saw Pat Hayden, the last athletic director, maybe the two worst hires in USC football history, like combined. Like <laughs> Mike Garrett, you know, hired Paul Hackett, but, but he hired, hired Pete, Pete Carroll. Carroll. Like, it's like, that's, that's your quarter. Like you could have 10 nickels and you have a quarter. It's like, I'd rather have the quarter. Um, Pat Hayden hired two like slug nickels that like you know made of wood. Like he you know he brought in Steve he brought in Steve Sarkeesian, maybe the worst hire ever because not only did you hire a head coach that flamed out after like a year and a half, but you also took him away from a rival who was probably going to fire him anyway, allowing Chris Peterson to go there and create a power in the and north, completely resurrect the program. That was the if you had if Washington could pick USC's next head coach, they would have picked Steve Sarkeesian. You know, because not only would they beat Steve Sarkeesian, but they would also be able to bring in. So that's a horrible, horrible hire. Then now Clay Elton did a couple some good things uh, at the time because of the bad hire you had. You needed to sort of fix it somehow, and he was the adult in the room. He had some good success, went at a Rose Bowl and stuff. So, for you know, for being a bad hire, but it, he wasn't qualified to be there. Those were two really bad hires in a row. Um, so now, Lynn Swan, who's never been athletic director before either, never managed a company, hired and fired people. Like he's never done anything like that. It's like. If you're like a CEO and you become the athletic director, it's like, oh, I've hired, fired people and stuff. It's a business. I mean, you have, in the end, USC is a business, yes. especially our football program that generates millions of dollars. Right. And that's why he was hired, because he could generate millions. of. He could fundraise. So he was basically hired as a fundraiser, but he's making this kind of call. And so you're asking a guy that you hired to do job A. Job B is pretty freaking important, and, and he's never done anything Probably like that. Probably more important. Yeah. Because so, without, without a competitive team, the money's not going to come in. Yes. And you're seeing that the problems there. So, so my gut is, so again, I'm giving you these long uh, answers. <laughs> love it. Love it. I feel like the board of trustees, Lynn Swan didn't want to make a move. Uh, they'd rather just keep Clay Helton. If you listen to Lynn Swan, it just, I'd love to see like a shrink or somebody or someone that like <laughs> understands, you know, like uh, body language and all that stuff. psychology. Yeah. When he spoke uh, on Trojans Live, which is, USC sponsored radio. It's basically like, you know, it's like KGB radio or so. Like, it's not, they're not going to give him, I like the guys that are on there, but they work for USC. They're not going to ask him stuff that, that, that would get them fired, you know? He didn't come to the media and let everyone, all of us, ask him questions. He came out and basically, it was like kind of sitting on this ledge declaring, look, everybody, Clay Helton is good. There were sanctions. He won the Rose Bowl. Just calm down. And he, he fell short. He did not say he's back next year. We were told he was going to go on that radio show and say he's coming back next year, and he didn't quite go that far. I don't know if it was because he felt he did or he felt he said enough, but it was definitely more of a, I'm speaking to you on high, my, my perch here as the athletic director, telling my disciples, this is what you should think. And nobody listened to him. Like No one you know, believes that. But I, my belief is he didn't want to make a change I don't think he still wants to make a change because he's someone that just, he makes up his mind and that's what he wants. He feels like he knows best. But because of the loss to UCLA, I think there's pressure on him. I don't know, for Dr. Austin, it's, it's a hard thing because I don't think she wants to put 
the next president in something like that she's doing as the interim, but that's a big deal. I think though, enough people on the board who were maybe on the fence are now like, look, they're not even bowl eligible. Like I get that we, this is not the ideal time, but you have to do it. And I, I think that's where we are right now. Expanding to college football as a whole, since we've gotten, uh, gotten all this off our chest about <laughs> our Trojans. Um, let's, let's talk about something more fun right now. Who's, who's your pick for the Heisman Trophy? So I, I vote. Um, it's weird, like, how that works. It's, it, it's not, like, an exclusive thing. There's, like, 900-something yeah. voters. Professor Jeff Fallinser, who I mentioned, is also a Heisman yeah. voter, as is uh, Yogi Roth. Oh, Yogi does, too. Yeah. Okay, cool. I think um, this is Yogi's first or second year as a voter. Okay, I think I've been doing, like, six or seven, but whatever. I, you know, they end up coming to me doing a vote from before, and it's uh, this old guy gives you a call every year, like, hey, Ryan, how are you? And he's like, you know, it's all online. You do all this stuff, but you get to vote for three people. It's kind of a regional award because they have people in every region. I always try to have the West represented at some some way um, in my voting. So now it's easy because Gardner Minshew is there. You know, he's he might be my first place guy. Uh, I mean, I I covered uh, Tua Tagovailoa at Alabama when he was he came out to a Nike camp in L.A. and he wasn't all that impressive. He was I think it was in the same like Matt Fink group and stuff. And uh, but he got be- he he's definitely the, got he's Jack Sears' year. He was Jack Sears. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah, Jack Sears was in that group. So um, I thought Sears was pretty good. Sears was committed to Duke, I believe, at the time. And Tua was committed here for a while. He, yeah, and, but he just didn't – he wasn't, like, super impressive to me. But I ended up going to Hawaii and seeing him uh, at a practice. Went to his high school. I went to St. Louis High School. My wife and I were actually on a little vacation in Hawaii. And we're in Honolulu. I'm like, hey, honey, can we go stop by? Because Jordan Iacefa was there yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and Tua. And Tua was like a junior. And he had got, he suddenly got a lot better his senior year. And, but when I saw him early on, it was like, yeah, he was fine. It wasn't like the way he's playing now. But I think he would certainly uh, be up there too. I'm, I'm still pretty open. I, I try not to like zoom in until like sort of later in the season. I don't like keep a poll going every week or anything like that. But for those, him and Minshew, like to see someone like Minshew like killing it. Uh, it's cool. So he might get my first place vote. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I like those guys. I think I'm in the uh, the absolute minority where if I had a first place vote, I think I'm giving it to Kyler Murray. I think oh, yeah. I think he's been unbelievable this year. He's num- he's top three in the nation in passing yards. He's got a ton of touchdowns. He's actually number one in passing efficiency this year and two is number two. Um, I've spoken to a lot of people. They say it's been it's been two since week five. The yeah. things he's doing. I mean, Tua's got talent. I mean, Kyler Murray has talent, but Tua's I probably got a lot more talent on his team. And I yes. think I think what Kyler Murray has done, especially in the one loss to Texas, like that was a shootout. The Bedlam game, he put up sixty plus points. I think Kyler Murray is spectacular. I probably give him my first. I'd give Tua my second, and I think I'd give Gardner Mishu my third. Yeah, I think that's fair for sure. Um, he's you know you'll see how they progress how he progresses too. If they're able to win the Big Twelve, if he's able to make the college football playoff, I think that would be a huge help. But, you know, he's already signed some, like, multi-million dollar thing. He's already it, got enough, you know. It's, it's a shame. <laughs> it's an absolute shame that we don't get to see him in the NFL because, in recent memory, he's one of the most electrifying players yeah. I think I've seen. You mentioned the college football playoff. Do you think the Final Four, as it is right now, is what we will get in the playoff? I kind of do. Um, it seems like a very chalky 
year. Uh, watching Ohio State against Maryland, that was the, the game right on before for USC uh, over the weekend, and I watched a lot of that. That was an incredible game. It was insane, and but Ohio State shouldn't have won that one. No, and not it, one bit. They were down, I think, what double digits in the like double digits multiple times in the second half. Yeah, so. Uh, I don't think they're going to get it done. I don't think, I think USC is going to get boat raced by Notre Dame this weekend. I think Notre Dame has so much incentive and I just think USC is a fractured team right now. So I, I don't see them getting knocked out. Um, so I kind of feel like it's a chalk year and that's where it goes. A one loss Notre Dame, especially the one loss to a program like USC right now is not going to make the play. No, they, no, they're out. They yeah. would definitely put Oklahoma or Ohio State in. Right. Probably not Ohio State because they're not even going to play for their conference championship game, which they've shown in the past with Alabama last year that it has value, but not enough value. Yeah. Ohio um, State doesn't have like... Exactly. They, yeah, they, like they their the TCU resume. win doesn't look that good. Like before when they had like... Now, yeah. if they could somehow do something to Michigan, right? that yeah. changes the narrative. But um, going forward... Is, that, is, it, is it just Alabama and everybody else for the national championship? Sort of boring, you know? Like, maybe Clemson competes with them. I think Clemson's the only team that's got a shot. I think Michigan, like, the defense is good, but the offense is like, eh, I just don't think they're going to do a whole lot. Like, Notre Dame, I mean, elite defense, and, like, with Ian Book, they have a really good offense, but I just think Alabama's in this other... They're in that other world. Yeah, there's like, they're a different sport than everybody else's. Is playing so. I mean, we saw the Citadel like do some things. <laughs> ten like, ten at the half. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, but you got you almost got to run. Like, you need like Georgia Tech to run like some triple option thing against them that they don't see every week. But otherwise, it's just like, dude, they got dudes everywhere. Uh, they they make they're making it kind of boring right now. Like, there's just it's not about SEC dominance. It's about Alabama, Alabama dominance. dominance. And I think the rest of the SEC would nor like early on. You're like, yeah, go Bama. Like, go SEC. But now they're like, no, anybody else. And you thought you might get Georgia last year, but. Not this year. Not this year. Uh, I mean, um, I, I don't think Georgia's going to be able to handle Alabama in a conference no. title game. I think Clemson's the only team that has a shot strictly because Clemson's offense might be is less, but it might be pretty close to as potent as Alabama's is. Yeah. Um, on that note, Ryan, I just want to say thank you very much for meeting with me today. I really appreciated having you on. Oh, thanks for having me. It's great. And uh, it's great to see young podcasters out there. I've been doing this for a long time, but you know, it's, it's cool. And you guys got... I mean, I'm glad you like the studio. You guys have some amazing equipment at USC. Like, that's, that's real stuff. This is me, like, hanky-janky putting stuff together. <laughs> well, but, you're doing a fantastic <laughs> job. Uh, for all you Trojan fans out there, make sure to uh, subscribe on uscfootball.com. I will uh, put Ryan's social media handles in the description. He does incredible work, and I uh, can't wait to see what you do moving forward. Thanks so much. Thank you, everybody, and tune in next week to see what I have in store for you.